my name is Megan Bellflower, and I am a historical fiction writer and your host of Soda Pop Chronicles, your guide to all things vintage and all things vintage pop culture. So today's podcast is going to be explosive. Yes, we're going to be talking about nuclear fallout. And for all of you video gamers out there, I'm sure you're thinking about the Fallout video game, which is a game set in basically a post-apocalyptic atomic wasteland, which I guess it looked like what America might look and be like if there were a massive nuclear war. And so basically it's a desolate wasteland that your character is exploring in the game. And it's interesting that this game is set in the 1950s because this is a time period where a lot of people feared a nuclear war. And uh, the game might have been what America looked like if there actually had been a big nuclear war at that time. First thing I want to talk about when it comes to nuclear bombs is the Manhattan Project. In 1939, the scientific community at that time discovered that German physicists had learned how to split a uranium atom. And so there was this widespread fear that Nazi scientists were going to be able to use this to produce a bomb that was capable of complete annihilation and unspeakable destruction. And scientist Albert Einstein, who fled Nazi persecution and came to live in the United States, he wrote a letter to... President Roosevelt, and he urged President Roosevelt to develop a atomic research program. And Roosevelt didn't really see the necessity for a program like this and didn't have the funds and the utilities and everything to start a project like this. But he went ahead and agreed to kind of proceed with caution and kind of you know, slowly try to develop something. So in 1941, uh, the, um, the Americans wanted to try to start building their first atomic bomb. And so this project received its first code name, which was called the Manhattan Project. And so the funds were allocated and the project took off pretty quickly, actually. And the facilities were built the main uh, facility, which was like, I guess, the place where the atomic bomb would be assembled, was built at Los Alamos, New Mexico. And the man running this facility, his name was Robert Oppenheimer. And after all of this was built and ready to go, it had nearly a $2 billion expense. 
with all the research and development that was going on, and the Manhattan Project employed over 120,000 Americans. But since this was such a big undertaking, it, it, had, it had to remain secret, though, because the Americans didn't want the Germans or the Japanese to figure out what they, what they were up to. And there was no public awareness in the United States at this time. And they had to keep their employees quiet. So only a few main scientists really knew what was going on at the Manhattan Project. And the funny thing is, uh, Vice President Truman actually had never even heard of the Man Manhattan Project until he became president later. So this is how secret this program was. It's kind of like if you have ever heard of Area 51 and how secret that place is, that people in the same building don't know what the floor above them is working on. That's how secretive it is. I also find it interesting that all mysterious governmental project sites are out in the middle of the desert, I guess, because there's a lot of big open land there. But, I mean, you got Area 51, you had the Roswell sighting uh, of the UFO, and you had the Manhattan Project and the Nevada uh, test site. So I, I think that it would be an interesting place to go out and see, this, to go look and try to find UFOs in all these mysterious places, with all this mysterious history. But um, anyway, by the summer of 1945, Oppenheimer, the man that was, you know, in charge of this project, he was ready to test his first bomb. So uh, July of that year, uh, the scientists came together and they prepared themselves to watch this bomb detonate. And the the device was hung on a on a one hundred foot tower, and the bomb was set to discharge just before dawn. Um, but the funny thing is, n no one was really, I guess prepared for what they were about to see and what was about to happen. A giant blinding flash that was visible for 200, 200 miles lit up the sky and it created a mushroom cloud that reached 40,000 feet and it ended up blowing out windows of civilian homes up to a hundred, one hundred miles away. And basically when everything had settled and the mushroom cloud dissipated, the earth um, had a giant crater where the bomb had been deployed and the crater was so hot because of the blast that the sand was actually turned into glass. And so these scientists were like, wow, this is a lot bigger than what we expected. And 
it had affected civilian homes and they're like, what are we going to tell the American public that we just did? Because nobody knew about this. So they decided to try to come up with a cover-up story. And their cover-up story was that there was a huge ammunition dump out in the desert and it had randomly exploded. And... Uh, the project was successful. They had seen the explosion of the first atomic bomb and thus America and the world kind of entered into this nuclear and the world and America entered into this uh, nuclear age and kind of started a nuclear arms race so to say. Um, so an interesting thing and another fun aspect of this for all you video gamers out there again, if you have ever played Call of Duty and you have played the level called Nuketown, a lot of people play this level when they're doing multiplayer. I know at parties and stuff, it's common to play Call of Duty and play Nuketown. And in this town, you know, you see these makeshift houses with all these mannequins around. Well, this was actually a real thing that happened back when they were testing atomic bombs. There was another project called Operation Q. And what Operation Q did was people, you know, the government built these fake towns on the Nevada test site, and they wanted to see the aftermath of an atomic bomb and how it would affect like American communities and all these items that we use in our everyday lives. And so they built different kinds of houses. They built like a normal house, um, you know, and they, they furnished the house and they placed a mannequin family inside. They built a house that was specifically designed to help stand a atomic blast. And they furnished it, put a mannequin family inside of that. And then they also built a house that kind of resembled a bunker made out of like concrete blocks, furnished that, put a family inside. All the houses were fully furnished with a mannequin family and the test also wanted to see how food would be affected by radiation. So all of the kitchens in these houses were stocked with food. And so after the little town had been built on the test site, the team went and watched the explosion happen from afar. And 24 hours later, the team explored the town, the town to see the damage, which if you know anything about radiation, you know that items that are radioactive stay radioactive for longer than 24 hours after they are exposed to gamma rays and particles. And so these people were exposing themselves to dangerous levels of radiation without realizing it. And the interesting thing is they 
even ate a meal together on the test site after they went and surveyed the damage. Like, in the town, they ate a meal in this fake town. Um, and the meal was roast beef, because we all love our roast beef cooked with radiation, seeping with gamma rays. Um, <laughs> yeah, not not probably a very good idea, but again, we didn't have all the information. This was very new, so we can't blame these people. And this whole Operation Q was um, captured and written about, and a little film was made about it, and where a journalist came and she... Uh, came with a camera crew and they followed this project and you can actually find it on YouTube if you're interested. And uh, basically their findings were that normal houses were completely obliterated. The houses that were specially designed to withstand the blast, they stood but they still had a lot of damage. And the concrete bunker houses were the ones that were most effective at withstanding the blast. So, and then we kind of come into this idea of the fallout shelter and kind of how all of this anxiety and all of this new technology affected the American public. So, from, from the end of like World War II, um, the world faced a period of just a lot of international struggle, especially a competition between nations to develop new weapons and technology, and this was called the Cold War. And basically, the United States saw this competition and this tension as a threat to world peace and their security because the Soviet, the Soviets were developing atomic weapons and the Soviets were also extending their political ideas and ideology to, into like Europe and beyond. And so in order to calm America and all of these fears the federal government created something called the Federal Civil Defense Administration. And basically what this was created for was to inform and educate Americans on how they could protect themselves from an atomic uh, war. And so survival literature was written uh, specifically for a suburban audience. And the FCDA determined that if people were well-educated and were prepared for the attack, then they could survive. And they wanted to prevent what happened in um, Hiroshima and Nagasaki. And so then they started um, putting out uh, you know, warnings and ads and even in classrooms and public schools, uh, teachers 
and faculty and everything participated in atomic bomb drills with their class with their classrooms and these were just like fire drills or tornado drills that we have today in schools and basically the american children were taught to duck and cover under their desks in case of nuclear attack because we all know that desks those little things we sat at when we were children are capable of withstanding an atomic blast and protecting us find cover away from windows and in a hallway if possible wait for the all clear be calm if you're on the playground, run for shelter. If you're in the schoolyard, get into the building. Move quickly, but in good order. I, I honestly think that this was um, security theater, uh, that we like to feel like we are in control of situations, and this helped us feel like we were doing something instead of doing nothing you know, to try to help our, our children survive. But this was actually something that, that my parents practiced as children in school. So really, this was not very long ago that all of this fear was circling and swirling around the American population. This is Orson Welles broadcasting. On your mark, get set, go. The mark is Sunday, June 30th, 1946. Get set for two tremendous explosions and go. Well, you might as well go to the hills or maybe the moon would be safer. After they drop that thing at 5.30 tonight, we may all go to glory. So what is nuclear fallout? No, it is not the video game. And no, it is not the act of hiding in the event of nuclear war. Uh, nuclear fallout is actually the little radioactive dust that is created when the nuclear weapon detonates. And so basically the explosion will vaporize all material within its little fireball. And so this material is then exposed to neutrons from the explosion and it will absorb them into the material, and then the material then becomes radioactive. And so the fallout also, uh, it, it, it will emit something called gamma rays, which if you don't know what gamma rays are, they are a incredibly radioactive um, material. And it's, there's, it's also called gamma radiation. And gamma radiation is the thing that we think about when we think of radiation that causes illness. Uh, it can kill people. It's carcinogenic. It causes, you know, it causes cancer. And so these gamma particles, uh, when when they become active, they release their radiation very, uh, pretty quickly, especially during the first few hours of exposure and then the days following the attack. And so you want to avoid these particles within this time frame, which again, if you think about it, 
those people that went and explored the test site in Operation Q only 24 hours after the bomb exploded. It was not a very smart idea. They were exposing themselves to a lot of gamma radiation. And um, I even believe that I've heard of some interviews where people that belonged to this project ended up getting sick. And um, that would be why. They, they went and they looked at everything too, too early, why it was still very radioactive. And of course, they ate a meal. <laughs> On the, I shouldn't laugh. That's it's not funny, but you know, it's just, you know, it's it's again we we just didn't have all the information. Um. So. Basically. Uh, because of all this fear and stuff, uh, Mar- the um, American public was just drenched with literature with news reports with just their entire lives were merged with this idea of being attacked constantly what if a warning siren sounds what should you do look for cover the nearest cover don't try to make it home unless home is the nearest place to go um So, Americans start to think about building uh, fallout shelters in their backyards, and they would typically maybe um, use things like septic tanks, um, or they might you know, pour concrete into holes in their backyards. And uh, they kept this very secret. They often hid this from their neighbors that they were doing this. I'm not exactly sure why. Maybe they didn't have enough room to help other people. I'm not sure. There's actually a Twilight Zone episode about this, um, about someone who thought this man was crazy for building a fallout shelter in his backyard and then suddenly when the attack actually happens they all try to get into his shelter to survive and they can't all fit in it so i mean even even in american tv these things were being talked about on a fictional level and so even comic books were distributed Uh, especially to children, and again, with the whole duck and cover uh, idea, there was a little cartoon turtle, and his name was Bert, and that talked about duck and cover, and even some children started to wear, like, what resembled dog tags that were given out in schools, and people were assigned to be spotters, and these people were asked were asked to watch the sky for anything that appeared to be uh, some kind of odd flying object anything that was suspicious in nature and so we see at this point that the the threat of the bomb it is completely ingrained with culture and it is a part of just everyday existence 
even newspapers had radiation reading reports beside the the weather columns <laughs> and popular mechanics magazine published a fallout shelter blueprint for the DIYers. Yes, there were DIYers even back then. And then Congress began to debate whether they should evacuate large cities or or if they should create and build these massive community shelters. And even major companies, airlines, phone companies, Wall Street, they had the plan to build shelters for their employees. And even a farmer in Iowa built a fallout shelter for his 200 cows because we all like radiation and our roast beef. <laughs> um, and so public buildings were were then even labeled as fallout shelters if they had a good underground basement. And you can even see some of those signs still up today that say fallout shelter with the little yellow and black symbol. And Hollywood takes advantage of this because why wouldn't they, I guess? Uh, let's scare the community by creating films about the apocalypse. And some of these films were On the Beach and The Last Man on Earth, which I find this interesting because I feel like this would add to the anxiety of potential attack if we see what the Earth might become after one of these bombs. Um, and so in the late 1950s, when they polled the American public, about 40% of Americans were seriously considering building a shelter. And things didn't really start to change until after like the 1960s. So uh, President JFK he wanted there to be a fallout shelter for everybody. This was kind of his plan, and he wanted it to happen as fast as possible. He uh, was he saw Berlin as a potential threat, and he wanted to take all the steps that he could to try to protect his family and uh, the American public. And the Russians actually thought that Americans trying to build fallout shelters was funny. <laughs> they, um, they, they, they told the West that basically it was pointless. And this is, this is a quote. Um, it says, this was what someone from Russia said. I'm, I'm not exactly sure who, but it says it would take really very few multi-megaton nuclear bombs to wipe out your small and densely populated countries and kill you instantly in your lairs. So basically they were threatening that if there was nuclear war that even our little constructions uh, they would not be able to withstand the blast. And so then things kind of picked up because a year later, the Cuban Missile Crisis uh, started. And for a few days, this was 
this became very real to the American public, the idea of a all-out nuclear war. They were afraid that the Cubans were going to shoot miss- missiles over onto American soil and that it would be a large-scale ordeal. And luckily, though, the bomb never dropped. Uh, JFK was able to defuse the situation and get everything under control. And so after this, the world was finally able to relax a little bit as the Soviets eased up, as Cuba eased up. And so the idea of an all-out nuclear holocaust began to sort of wither away and and it faded from the forefront of Americans' minds. And Americans even began to accept the fact that there wasn't much that we could do in the event of a, of a nuclear attack and that our shelters wouldn't do very much to protect us from the nuclear disaster. And these little backyard bomb shelters ended up becoming wine shelters and fruit cellars and a lot of them just ended up filling up with water and were never used again and so hopefully though this is encouragement that maybe we can um, prevent nuclear attacks like the way JFK was able to do it with a lot of negotiating and a lot of um you know, speaking to to Cuba about these issues. Um, And uh, the idea of of atomic bombs and nuclear fallouts are obviously still in our minds today, thanks to um, video games (laughs) and movies. And I think that for the next few years, this 1950s and 60s um, idea of the atomic bomb will probably continue, seeing that that generation is, you know, some of our parents and grandparents. And uh, I think that people will always be fascinated by this by this time period. And it's interesting that so many people are so fascinated by the idea of an apocalypse and by the idea of, of survival. The explosion at Bikini is not a law of nature, but an application of law. The bomb is scheduled, not by the influence of the planets or the turning of the tides or the endless logic of the calendar. The bomb is scheduled by man, out of season. And unlike winter, it need never come again. Um, thank you so much for listening to my podcast today. Uh, you've been listening to Soda Pop Chronicles, your guide to all things vintage and all things vintage pop culture. And if you have a specific suggestion of what you would like to learn next on this show, you can email me at bellflowerfilms at gmail.com and bellflower has one L in it. I am currently working on getting a separate email address and page for this podcast. Um, 
thank you for listening and don't eat radioactive <laughs> roast beef Oh, wow.